Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. how to not fall in love with things so deeply, you know, because right. when I was really young, you read a script and you're like, oh, that you see yourself in that part and you decide that it's yours and, and you don't get it and, and it hurts. <laughs> it totally. really hurts. One, two, three, okay. Hello, listeners. Um, This is your friendly In the Envelope podcast host, Jack, speaking. But the voice you just heard is that of Zoe Kravitz, today's guest on the podcast, uh, who joined us not too far into life in lockdown, life in quarantine. She joined us all the way from London, where she is filming the new Batman movie, where she will be starring as Catwoman. Uh, as with most productions in Hollywood, TV, film, etc., the future of that project is uncertain. The future of a lot of filmed projects that have been released is uncertain. Um, I was looking at what's been going on over at Backstage.com this week. It's kind of an exciting week over at Backstage.com, but um, I realized we've never, we haven't taken a moment on this podcast to sort of recognize that the Primetime Amy Awards are still on track to air on September 20th, you know, TBD on how exactly that is executed in this age of of social distancing and taking all of these precautionary measures. Side note, wear a mask, (laughs) wear a mask, wear a mask. But we haven't really recognized the fact that the New York City theater awards season, as we know it, essentially didn't take place this year. It took place in a way that has never happened before. The Tony Awards are either postponed indefinitely or outright canceled in the year 2020, depending on kind of how you look at it or what you're hearing. Uh, A lot of other local theater awards were canceled and uh, postponed. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's obviously a lot of um, economic strife and emotional strife over the loss of not being able to go to the theater uh, as well as going to movie theaters. But I was thinking about that looking at what's going on at Backstage this week because this week's cover star is Adrian Warren, who was playing Tina Turner in Tina, the Broadway musical. Um, A totally stunning, totally buzzy performance that presumably would have been in the conversation of the Tonys, uh, which this cover story really gets into. But elsewhere on the side, I mean, the other features we have, we've had some amazing talent recently on the slate. Alexander Draymond, Giancarlo Esposito, Arturo Castro have all joined us on the slate. We have a backstage five with Christina Applegate, star of Dead to Me. Joel Courtney, star of The Kissing Booth. Uh, this week, Kristen Milioti, friend of the podcast, Kristen Milioti, who stars in that new movie, Palm Springs. Anyway, this is your weekly reminder to head over to backstage.com to check out all of this excellent content. And um, 
yeah, I hope everyone is healthy and safe and hanging in there. We are just chugging along here, me and Zoe Kravitz and the rest of us at Backstage. Uh, so without further ado, let's get to this excellent interview with Zoe about all things High Fidelity, her Hulu show, uh, as well as a little bit on Big Little Lies, her HBO show, uh, both of which are Emmy eligible. And uh, I'm just so excited to see what she does next. So let's take a quick break and then get to that. This podcast is, of course, brought to you, listeners, by Backstage. Listen, aside from all the great inspiration and tips and all of that stuff we offer for free, like this amazing podcast, Backstage also gives you access to incredible casting calls all over the world. That is why it's the world's number one casting platform. If you're curious or if you're an actor yourself and you really want to jumpstart your career and you're ready to take the advice and the inspiration you've heard here in this very episode and use it, go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code ENVELOPE. E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E. That's, again, 30 days completely free to try backstage where you can make a profile, upload a headshot, upload a reel, start browsing the casting notices, and start applying to jobs because who knows, maybe one day I'll be interviewing you. Again, that's backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code ENVELOPE. For Zoe Kravitz, a career as an actor, model, musician, and now writer-producer seems predestined given that she grew up surrounded by artists including parents Lisa Bonet and Lenny Kravitz, but her talent and voice have been all her own, from indies Beware the Gonzo and Yelling to the Sky to blockbusters Mad Max Fury Road and Fantastic Beasts. She stars on HBO's Emmy-winning Big Little Lies and this year executive produced and played the lead role on Hulu's new TV adaptation of The rom-com High Fidelity. Here's our interview with the wonderful Zoe Kravitz. Well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Just to give you some context, this podcast is all about the craft and career advice, and um, I'm probably going to ask you for your whole life story. So, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I would love to just ask, like, you grew up as an actor, you grew up doing this. Is it safe to say that there was no, like, getting bit by the acting bug? I mean, you've grew up in the industry, right? I definitely grew up, you know, surrounded by artists. And my, my grandmother was also an actress and, um, and my mother as well, of course. Mm -hmm. And I definitely always had a, a deep love for performing. Yeah, I think, you know, it was just always, especially, you know, growing up as an only child and... I grew up um, in Topanga Canyon, which was even, you know, quieter then than it is now. And hmm. my parents were divorced, so it was just me and my mom. So, um, and I wasn't allowed to watch TV, really. I was allowed to oh. watch movies um, only every once in a while. So, point being, I had a lot of um, time to use my imagination. And so, making up characters and putting on shows and singing songs and... Uh -huh. Um, you know, that was always the way I entertained myself and others around me. Ah. And then also, I think when you grow up in, in an environment where, um, where you're not allowed or you don't have a lot of access to a lot of television, when you do see something, when you do watch a film, it really sticks with you. Oh, so I developed these really deep relationships with the films that I grew up watching and would recreate them and 
um, become obsessed with the actors in them. And wow. so, yeah. And then in school, I just, I was always, um, I was an average student and, and I would always, the, the one place I was able to excel was in, um, you know, drama club. I was a kind of a mm-hmm. drama nerd in school. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of sets you on the path right there. Yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting that the limitation of TV actually sort of inspires you more. Yeah, because I think you you have time to really, you know, you back then too, right? We didn't have Netflix or anything like that. You'd sure. go to the store, you'd go to the video store, and you'd spend time trying to figure out what you wanted to watch. Or we had a very small collection of VHS tapes. And so you kind of watch things over and over again, and you are able to really develop this, you know, kind of obsession or relationship with characters and worlds and actors. Sure. What kinds of what kind of kinds of films and like old VHS tapes were those? Um, I was obsessed with Grease. I was obs- a lot of films <laughs> okay. that my mom grew up watching too. I loved Escape to Witch Mountain and the original Freaky Friday. I grew up watching a lot of Little Rascals, the original Little Rascals. Oh. We had all the box sets of all of those. Um, what else did I love watching? I loved fantasy. I loved the movie Legend. I loved, um, you know, the original Star Wars. Cool. Yeah. There's a film called Candlestick with Jodie Foster. I was obsessed with Jodie Foster growing up. Oh, okay. See, I could see that too. It's like you're painting a little picture of some of these projects or the kinds of projects you would later end up in. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, I got to work with Jodie on on one of my first jobs and that was a huge deal for me as I grew up watching her. You know, I love her and foxes and Bugsy Malone too. Bugsy Malone was a big one. I kept <laughs> Bugsy Malone. Yeah, the, the, Bugsy Malone was huge. Era. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say Jodie Foster is like the the I don't know acting influence? Um, the biggest definitely. One. When I was younger, I definitely just had. I thought she was so cool, just so cool. And then you know, I, I got older and got to see her in things like Taxi Driver too. And, yeah. Um, she just always had this amazing confidence since she was a kid. You know, and um. I think I also really identified with her kind of androgyny too. You know, I, grew, I was kind of a tomboy oh, sure. growing up and and I always just, I, I, I felt like I saw myself in, in her and in her toughness. Oh, very cool. And then of course it's the drama club. And yeah. I assume music was a big part of your life as well. Yeah, music was, music was huge. You know, I loved listening to music and that was also just a major source of, you know, yeah. connection and entertainment. Um, there's always music playing in the house in the houses I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved musical theater too. So, you know, would always be in the, you know, in plays and musicals at school and oh, would cool. listen to soundtracks of musicals and, um, yeah. Would you ever huge. do like a big Broadway musical? You know, I don't, I don't think I would only because I just, I don't think I have what it takes to be honest, you know, those, <laughs> the, 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 to be able to do that many shows a week and not lose your voice and, you know, it's just, yeah. I don't know if I could do that. It's just incredible what, what those performers are able to do. Totally. I'm sure you could, I am sure you could do it. <laughs> Thank you for, for your confidence. <laughs> I don't know what kind of show. I mean, it's, there's all, there's, I love that you grew up as a musical theater lover. I could kind of see I, that. <laughs> total, total musical theater nerd. <laughs> <laughs> well, so at what point, was there ever a shift in terms of the, like, the kind of clicking between oh, this is something I like versus then it becomes like a a career. Oh, this is something I could do in my career. Was there ever like a realization of that? The realization was really more about the fact that high school was ending. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and I didn't, I hadn't, 
put a lot of energy into anything but acting. Um, right. And I didn't really think about it in terms of a career. It was just the only thing that I had, you know, that I loved doing. And then all of a sudden, high school's ending and people know what they want to do and what they love. And that was the only thing I felt like I was decent at and the only thing I got a lot of enjoyment out of. So it just felt like the only thing, only thing to do at that point. <laughs> and then you, correct me if I'm wrong, you then studied specifically acting, but only for a year? Yes. And then I, um, I went to the, I auditioned for the acting conservatory at SUNY Purchase um, in, in New York, mm -hmm. um, near White Plains. And, um, and got in and um, had an amazing time, loved the program. They were very, very strict about um, students working at the same time. And I wasn't really in a hurry. And um, my mom was always really strict. Um, I wanted to start working when I was, you know, even younger, when I was maybe 15, gotcha. 16. And my mom was really strict about that not happening until I was 17, 18. And the, the, my first film I did when I was 17, and it was only because it was during the summer that I was allowed to do uh -huh. it. But um, so anyway, so I would sometimes I, I got an agent and um, I would sneak off to the city sometimes just for auditions, just to kind of like, I don't know, to see what could happen. Okay. And then I started getting work, which was really cool. And so I, I chose to leave so I could pursue that further. And that was all in New York? That was all in New York, yeah. And are you based there now? I know you're in I London am. at the moment. I'm in London now because I was shooting a film um, before <laughs> before everything stopped. Yeah, um, but I do. Yeah, I live in New York. We're so used to asking for advice on this podcast, and it's it's strange that I'm gonna I want to ask you about advice in this time of this crisis. And like, <laughs> first of all, how have you you know what have you been doing? What's on hold? Because I know you do it. You did have a lot in the pipeline, and you I guess you still yeah. do. I um so uh, Batman is what I was out here shooting. We yeah. were. Uh, a couple months in and <laughs> came to a very abrupt halt. Hmm. Um, so it's been really, it's been really gnarly just kind of going from, you know, being so active and being in the middle of um, a very large film to doing nothing. Um, hmm. But I've been, you know, I've been writing, I've been, I've been, there's a script that I've been working on for many years now. And oh. I'm, I'm actually really thankful to have this time to, to dive back in and hopefully finish it. And I don't know when that else, when else that would have happened. So hmm. that feels really great. And um, so, you know, still being creative, trying to move my body, stay in shape because I'm in the middle of an action <laughs> film. and I don't know when they're going to call me back. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and what you know, watching a lot of films that I you know never never got to never had time to watch or rewatching things and mm -hmm. um, spending time with my husband and cooking. It's actually cooking been kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like the it's you're staying inspired. It sounds like you're staying inspired if you're working on a script. I am. You know, it's funny when we first when you know we had you know this has been an ongoing project for me that I've been working on. And me and my writing partner, you know, when this whole thing started, he's in New York, but we do it remotely, and we were like. Mm kind of forced ourselves to just get going because it was, um, you know, just trying to find something to do. And it was at first really hard just because I think we were both so um, just scared and freaked out yeah. about what was going on and didn't really, it was hard to even focus. And um, the last few weeks, it's been really great. It's been wonderful. And there's been something really cool. Whenever I've been, um, whenever I've had the time to write, it's usually been 
kind of on a, on a weekend or a week off here and Gosh. there. And so it, there's something that's been really wonderful about, you know, when you really are able to focus on one project at a time, you know, I start to dream about it and wake up in the middle of night with thoughts and write mm. things down and almost start visualizing things in your mind and watching in the movie that you're writing in your mind. And so I think it does say something about just the creative process and giving yourself space to just do one thing at a time, because I definitely be, I, I, I tend to be the kind of person that can put myself in a situation where I'm doing 10 things at, at once. And I'm gotcha. realizing through this that I don't think that really serves me. Yeah. Okay. The, that the creative process, at least for you, is is about focusing on one thing rather than being more scattered. Yeah. I think you're just able to go to a deeper place and see things more clearly um, when you give yourself that space. Mm. Well, that's great. I mean, that's great advice for listeners who are maybe stuck at home and feeling lost. I think we're all searching for that inspiration and for some kind of routine and stability. Routine is huge. Routine's been really big. It's been it's been really great to I you know, I wake up and make breakfast and clean and do stuff like that and then I write from 2 to 5. Two to four thirty oh, every day. Very structured. Okay. Yeah, and then I work out at five, and that has been just—it's wow. been saving my, I think, my mental health. So I encourage everyone at home to just give yourself a schedule, and then also, you know, the shift from um, not working out on the weekends makes the week. I'm like, ooh, lazy day. It's a weekend, <laughs> and just like actually feeling the weekend. Yeah. So anything you can do to like give your weekend a different structure than the rest of the week too, I think it's yeah. really helpful. A lot of people are saying, yeah, that weekends and weekdays are just all kind of blurred together these days. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's so. actually really good to hear. Well, the, great. I mean, it's also interesting. You have Big Little Lies and High Fidelity to like today, you have tasks to do around that that maybe help structure your days. Totally. Less press on Big Little Lies because that's been, that's kind of at a standstill at the moment. But yeah. yeah, it's been really great to do press for High Fidelity and kind of get the second wave of of press. And um, yeah, it's cool to talk. Especially, I haven't seen it now in so long. It's, it's uh-huh. like been interesting to kind of just go back to that world um, after getting the nice kind of breather and time to sure. step back from it. Yeah. yeah, that did kind of that kind of worked out. It's really a lovely show, and it's Thank so. You. I mean, I'm sure you've talked about it, but how exactly did you get involved? Like, I know that there is a story behind your casting in this project. Um, so Sarah and Veronica, the creators, um, reached out uh, early on when there was basically only a pilot, and um, and so my agent called me and said they were doing this, you know, reboot, gender flipped version of High Fidelity, and I like, I think a lot of people um, had the same reaction. I, I, I rolled my eyes at it. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm just, you know, I'm a huge fan of the book, uh-huh. big fan of the of the movie, and wary of the reboot and wary of the gender flip. So. Yeah, my first reaction was an eye roll. And then okay. um and then I went and then just because it was in my mind because of, you know, hearing about it, I read I read the script and but was, you know, just feeling kind of hesitant. And then um reread the the book, which I hadn't read since my early twenties, and um okay. and just fell in love with this with this world all over again. And High Fidelity was one of my favorite books and films, you know, growing up and and so, and then my mom was in the movie, obviously, but that, it was so funny how that never had anything to do with my love for this, Oh, okay. for this world. And I always identified with, with Rob mm-hmm. and kind of romanticized that character in a way. And then I felt 
really protective over the source mm. material and really, you know, and I thought, you know, they're probably going to do this one way or another. So why not be involved and try and make it just um, stay, you know, have it stay true to the source material and make right. sure that it keeps its its edge that I, you know, have grown to love so much. That's interesting because I was going to ask, like, do you remember when you first saw the movie and was it because your mom was involved in it or? I don't think it was. I saw it years after it came out because I remember when mm-hmm. it came out, my mom said I was too young to see it. Oh, okay. Because um, I was maybe like, you know, 12 or 13 or something. And there's mm-hmm. like the sex scene with um, Tim Robbins. And so I remember her saying that was the reason I couldn't see it. Sure. <laughs> um, and then I think a lot of my friends in high school really liked that film. You know, I grew up with a lot of... Um, music nerds and music heads and right. um, they, uh, they were all also very obsessed with Jack Black and, and I don't really know how I can't remember how it happened but by the time I was in my mid-twenties I could quote the movie and I had read the book twice and cool um, okay. yeah and so at what I'm curious too about that you have an executive producer credit mm-hmm. on this project and is that because you felt protective of the source material and you were super close to the character and I mean how did you get involved in that part of it I think that was always part of the conversation. I think that that was gotcha. part of the intrigue was that they approached me so early on in the process. The rest of the season hadn't been written. They, you know, the rest of the cast hadn't been picked. We ended up switching networks, and so mm. it was very, very early on. And so I, that was also part of the appeal. You know, being a part of something from the ground up was wow. something I'd been wanting to do for a while. Yeah, were you involved in casting? Very, yeah. I was very cool, and I, I was involved in even you know choosing the casting director, and then I would go to the castings and read with people, and yeah, you know, watch all the tapes, and yeah. And you were doing the thing of like looking at the chemistry between you and these potential co-stars. I think at first it was more about just seeing the person and how and how they performed, and mm-hmm. um, and then at first I wasn't even reading; I was just in the room watching. And then it started to feel weird that I wasn't reading, so I started reading with people. Okay. But really, it was just kind of reading and observing them at the same time. And then once it would go further, we did chemistry tests, and yeah, it was really it was really interesting. It was you know, as someone who's just you know been in many audition rooms, right. I had a lot of just just compassion for all the actors coming in and. <laughs> Um, it's crazy to be in the room after the actor leaves and you know they do they talk about you <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> just what you think or when someone doesn't do a great job or you know that it's just interesting it was really interesting this whole experience being on the other side of it for the first time yeah that's that's exactly what we loved here on, the, on this podcast because it's it's true that um, once you're on the other side of the table I mean is it safe to say that auditions going forward for you are just going to be kind of a different experience because of this yeah, I mean, I definitely think, um, yeah, see, you know, being a part of the conversation, yeah. you know, after. But the truth is, it almost, it, it also, maybe it made things even a little bit easier because the truth is, you were always right or you were never right. You know what I mean? When that person walks in, hmm. I, I feel like everyone feels it kind of immediately and it almost wow. takes the pressure off in a way. You know, you're either that person or you're not. Right. And it's not within the actor's control necessarily whether they whether they fit that first first impression yeah and i think it also you know when you're when you're auditioning you put a you know put a lot of pressure on yourself about being perfect right you know i'm like i always Mm -hmm. like to be off book or if you stumble a line you know you're Mm -hmm. like oh you start freaking out but the truth is no one cares about that you know Mm -hmm. 
you can you can absolutely fuck up but if your energy is in the right place that's all we're looking for at that point mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um and then also realizing that the casting directors and producers are actually on your side we want to find someone as much as you want the part you know we're mm-hmm. hoping that you come in and you are that person totally so that was really interesting to to be to see from the other side totally i mean you so i mean with auditions in general did you know growing up and in your early days that there would be a ton of rejection? I'm just I'm just going to go ahead and assume that you've experienced your share oh, of rejection. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't yeah. know if I thought about it so much. I think mm. also, you know, you come from you come from school, right? Where you're like maybe yeah. you're the you're the chick that always gets the part in the play because you're <laughs> being picked out of uh 12 children or do you know <laughs> totally. 12 other children yeah um you have to be in the play or whatever yeah yeah exactly so i didn't i don't think i was really prepared for it you know and it definitely i had my heart broken many times okay. you know, in my um things and i and i and i had to learn how to not fall in love with things so deeply you know because right. you when I was really young, you read script and you're like, oh, that you see yourself in that part and you decide that it's yours and and then you don't get it and mm. uh, and it hurts. <laughs> it totally, really hurts. Totally. And you mentioned that you, you really try to be word perfect and you maybe over-prepare beforehand. Do you have like a post-audition routine as well? It's a good question. Um, I don't know if I have a post. I mean, maybe I'll have a drink or something. <laughs> but... <laughs> okay. um, you know, the whole thing about auditions for me is that if I if I leave feeling like I did what I wanted to do, even if I didn't think I, I got, you know, I, I nailed it or I got it, mm. um, but I was able to access the place I wanted to access, that's really the, the all I'm looking for nowadays. Yeah, I think I also used to, there was like this puppy energy, you know, when I was younger in, in, mm. in an audition where I just really wanted to be liked. And yeah. there was this um, kind of like, yes, sir, energy, you know, just whatever you want. And mm. and now when I do read for things, I'm really thinking about it in terms of, okay, this was my job. If I had this job already, mm-hmm. I would, I would say this line doesn't make sense. And can we do it like this? And, gotcha. you know, you, you'd communicate with the director the way you do if, if the job was yours, you really want to give them, I think a little bit of perspective, you know, what, it, what, it, what is it like to work with this person? What do they bring to the mm-hmm. table? And so you really do treat it like you have the job. Yeah, I've tried to, and it doesn't mean I'm not nervous because I'm definitely yeah. nervous, but I just think that is the only way to really give them an idea of what it will be like. And also, you know, to, to do what you want to do with the character, you know, you can't, it can't be about being liked. It has to be about, okay, this is what I see when I read this, these lines and these words, and this is what I feel. And, mm-hmm. um, and this is what I would do with this if you were to hire me, you know? Right. Rather than the desperate, um, I will do, I will mold myself to fit your perceptions or yeah because i also and again going you know going back to my experience with the you know the casting process of high fidelity no one mm-hmm. wants that i don't want you to do what you think i want you to do i want you to come in and do something i haven't thought of yet or challenge it in some oh. way you know yeah yeah it's actually not helpful for the actor to come in and try to guess what you want no <laughs> they need to no. propose something yeah exactly exactly oh, okay. make this better make this better than it is already you know that's the challenge for an audition. I think so. I do. I think so. And is there also just an element of like, because the nervousness, as you said, is that, do you still get nervous? Is it always there? Oh yeah. I'm so, <laughs> yeah. I get nervous before things like this. I get, I'm, I'm oh. I, I get really, I, I, I'm, I'm quite nervous. 
And I remember going into an audition and, you know, it maybe had been a little bit um, since I'd auditioned. And, you know, now when I audition, it's usually more like a test with another actor, mm-hmm. you know, in this project and it's for chemistry. But I remember auditioning for something actually at this when we were shooting the second season of Big Little Lies and going into to, to chemistry read with someone and just was immediately just reminded of just how much I hate auditioning and oh. just like my stomach, just like, you know, just butterflies and jumping jacks in my stomach and just, oh God, it's just awful. And like thinking of ways to get out of it, you know, I just, <laughs> I get really, really nervous before, before auditioning. I mean, this is maybe a bigger, more existential question, but as someone who I, I just perceive, of, I perceive you as someone who's not nervous at all. And so I wonder, is there an element of fake it till you make it in auditioning or just in general in making your way in the arts? You know, it's funny. A lot of people say things like that to me, like they think I'm intimidating or I'm too cool for school or things like that. And there's no part of me that's trying to be any of those things. I think we're Mm. all just, I mean, I find in my brain, I'm an incredibly socially awkward person, right? And my, like, you're at a party and you say hi and it goes, you know, you, it gets weird and you stumble and you walk away, you know, like the, my internal monologue is like, oh God, like all the time. Gotcha. And we're all, I think, I think we're all just kind of, you know, trying to, to just seem like someone who knows what they're talking about, you know? So, um, I'm glad that I'm pulling it off, but then part of me also gets bummed out when people think that I'm like, I don't care or I'm really cool or something. Cause it's just, no. it, it feels very far away from my actual personality. Sure. Sure. Well, and that's why I think high fidelity is such a beautiful kind of portrait of someone. Cause there's certainly coolness, but there's also definitely vulnerability and, and awkwardness. Yes. I mean, high fidelity is definitely the closest I've ever played to myself and the most I've ever okay. seen myself in, in a character. And I was, that was something I was really excited to do because I've really not had the opportunity to, to lean into my personality very much in films or even to be funny. And that's, was something that, um, it just, it feels like such a big part of who I am. So. And do you think of characters in that way as being a certain number of degrees removed from you yourself? I don't think I think about it that way. I mean, I always, you know, like one of the first things I do when I read something is, you know, ask myself, do I relate to this and how? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if I don't, well, then how can I, you know? So Mm. you always, I I mean, I always start with um, my connection to the character. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm like turning it in one, you know, one degree to the left or one degree to the right, right. Um, from myself. But I think you kind of have to still at least start there. Mm-hmm. And it depends on the project. Yeah, absolutely. Depends on the project. Sometimes you read something and you know right away, this isn't me, but I can do this, you know? Oh, okay. And how, <laughs> how often is there like you read something, you know, it's not for you and you, you say no. I mean, what, what goes into the process of deciding what to pursue? I guess if something just feels boring. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like I've seen this before. I've done this before. This is boring, <laughs> you know, but something that scares you or makes you go, you know, what's going to happen next or just something you haven't seen before. Anything that gives mm. you like butterflies in your stomach or, or, or anything that you think I can't do this. That's usually a really good sign. Okay. And is, is Rob and high fidelity, is that an example of like, even though it's reminds you of a lot to relate to and it remind the character reminds you of you, you, do you still have that, oh, this is scary, this is challenging? 
there are scenes that feel challenging, but you know, I was so close to this project. I was involved in writing the entire thing. So by the time mm-hmm. we got to shooting scenes, I mean, the the lines between me and Rob while shooting were very thin. Okay. Um, no, I was really, I, I was, I was, I was really in it when we were shooting that show. I wasn't, um, and also balancing the the executive producer hat with the actor right. hat. It actually was really good, I think, for my performance because I didn't have too much time to overthink it. I would I would memorize the entire episode of the script before we started shooting so that I could kind of hmm. produce and be worried about other things. And then we would just do the scene. I would just do the scene gotcha. um, without really thinking about it too much. And then, you know, so that was actually really probably good for me because I can sometimes tend to overthink things. Right, so it is it is two different hats. Producer and definitely actor. two different hats. Okay, and sometimes you've got to switch on a dime. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you're like, oh, you're worried about you know another actor, or you're worried about the lighting, or you're worried about mm. um, a note that we got from this network that we don't know how to handle, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, shit. I'm like, <laughs> I have to go do the scene. <laughs> we'll continue this conversation in a minute. But you know, when you're really close to a character, it it um. It, it's almost you know easier. It's really easy to slip to slip in and out. Of. Gotcha. Right when you're, I guess when you're immersed that much. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. And it sort of goes back to what you were saying about your creative process, where it's it's one thing at a time, yeah. rather than trying to do it all at once. Yeah, I definitely had tunnel vision with this project, and <laughs> um, and because I was wearing um, multiple hats, there was there was no room to think about anything. Gotcha. Anything else. And I th- and I would say that my performance was probably the last thing I thought about. I I, I prepped a lot before mm. we started shooting, so that I didn't have to think about it so much. Yeah. Did you really you memorize the the dialogue for every episode? Yeah, I would memorize the whole <laughs> the whole script. And and because I was so involved in, I mean, I'm cheating a little bit because I was so involved in the writing process and the notes process. So I read every script mm. about a million times already. So I definitely got a head start and then, and then would just kind of drill them with my coach before we, like the week before the weekend before we started shooting. Oh, so you are right. You're working with a coach as well. Oh yeah. I'm working with my man. I have a friend named Aaron Himmelstein. He's wonderful. And he's, um, he's a dear friend of mine and then started coaching people. Funny random story is that he used to be, um, he was in the high fidelity movie Huh. Um, there's a there's a moment in in High Fidelity where they cut back to um, young Rob as a kid, and they and hit and the girl he was seeing kissing another boy behind the bleachers, and his friend looks at her and says "slut," and um, and that's my friend Aaron. How interesting! <laughs> and I know it's a funny little full circle moment, but um, so I had him um, I had him to to coach me just to kind of drill lines and talk about character, and it was great to do all that prep work first so right. that I felt like Rob was in my body. I didn't have to think about it so much. And it's part of that too, because like, because you're involved in the very beginning of the process, like you must've seen rewrites and maybe different versions of episodes or even different shades to the character before things were finalized. Yeah. I was involved in, in a lot of the writing. So, you know, we'd get notes and talk about, you know, together how, you know, pitch off of how to how to fix things and how to change things. Mm-hmm. And I would see versions before they went to the to the network because, you know, we were an all, an, a team working on it. So, um, yeah, sometimes things would get changed the night before. But I was I think it was easier than just receiving new pages because I would be part of the process in terms of changing things. So that made things a lot easier for me gotcha. in terms of, you know, memorization. 
should just be really, really immersed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You lived and breathed the show. <laughs> I did. I did. I became a crazy person. It was a little nuts. <laughs> and the the production, the being an executive producer part of it on the tail end, you mentioned that it was originally set to go to one network and ended up at Hulu. What yeah. what was that process like or how were you involved in that? So originally we were meant to be at Disney Plus and mm-hmm. um I think it became uh really clear really early that um the show was more adult than they were able to um than they wanted it to be. <laughs> okay. Um yeah. and it was really important to me going back to just protecting the source material. Right. Um that this felt like the book and like, you know, like that world. And you can't do that without cursing and drinking and having sex and smoking, all that stuff. And and New York too, you know, the, I wanted to show what felt like a real version of New York and that, you know, totally. you have to be able to have someone buying weed on the street and you have to be able to have, you know, a woman smoking in her window. And like, if we need a guy pissing or drinking off on the street, you gotta, you gotta be able to do it, you know? And one of our main locations is a bar and, um, you know, all of that. So, um, but they were wonderful about it. And I think they really saw as we developed the show, um, that, you know, all those things were actually really important to the world that we were building. And so, um, they were great and turned us over to Hulu, um, who welcomed us with open arms and we were really able to be the show we wanted to be. Which is so key, yeah. Especially like with this many networks out there, it's kind of like you, your show should be aired on the network that it that suits its tone best, I suppose. Well, I also would rather not do the show if we're going to be the dumbed down version of a thing. I was right. like, this is a show about a person in her late twenties trying to figure out what's wrong with her relationships, but we can't have sex and we can't talk, you know, talk, say curse words. Like who is this show even for? You know what I mean? Right, like, right, right. I don't know who's going to watch the, ver- that version of the show. Totally. Oh, so who is the show for is actually a super important question from the producer's standpoint. Yeah. I don't know what the demographic is. I don't know who the people yeah. are that want to see the show, like the dumbed down version, because if you're younger and you, um, you know, I don't think you're going to relate to this. And if you're older, you're going to don't want to watch like the, you know, PG 13 version of your, of your life. So yeah. Um, it just, yeah. Who was that? I don't know who we're making this show for anymore. <laughs> well, this is great. That's super, it's super interesting to hear about if you had been just an actor on this show, it would have been interesting to hear about it, but because you also have that producer standpoint, I very much getting a window into your process, into your taste. I do have some very backstagey, not necessarily rapid fire, but backstagey questions. Okay. Really nerdy <laughs> questions to ask you. Cause I want to let you go soon. Shoot. Um, First of all, we asked this of everyone, how did you get your SAG card? Was it in that movie with Catherine Zeta-Jones? Yes, it was. No reservations. That is how I got my SAG card. And you were 17. I was 17, maybe 16 even. Did that count as one of the sneaking out of school uh, to go audition type of auditions? No, that was that was I was in high school when I when I did that. And actually, it was funny. Gosh. I was talking to my my high school boyfriend, who's still one of my best friends recently, and he was talking about he remembered the time we were supposed to go to a concert, and I was late because I was coming from that audition. It was a very small part, 
but um mm-hmm. but the the part was written goth so i think this is why i got the part i went in like full goth makeup oh, you did <laughs> and Amazing. then um and then like showed up to this concert after looking totally insane <laughs> and i had forgotten that connection and the other day he was like remember when we went to that concert you showed up with like goth makeup on and, you're convincing anyway. i see yeah <laughs> committed <laughs> <laughs> well and yeah going off of that um we also like to hear about audition horror stories. I mean, you mentioned there's a fair amount of rejection, but do you have like a worst go-to audition horror story? Well, that's a good question. God, I'm sure I do. Oh God. Um, I don't know if I have a really interesting story at the top of my head. I feel like auditioning is almost like an out-of-body experience. And in my <laughs> mind, horrible things are happening, but I think on the outside, like nothing really to, to write you know, right home about. I, totally. I am always really prepared. So I've rarely not, mm-hmm. you know, gone in not knowing my lines or anything like that. But I've definitely had auditions. I mean, I had an audition not even that long ago, like two years ago when I went in and um, I could just tell the director, just I go in and the director <laughs> is, um, the first scene I had to do was really, really emotional. And so I go in kind of, you know, in that space already. And the director kept on asking me about, he wanted to talk about Big Little Lies. And, oh. and kept on asking me kind of like chit chatty questions. And I was like, dude, you can't see that I'm like, like trying to else. stay. Yeah. Like trying to like stay in this space. And he did not give a shit. And, huh. um, and, and, and then I finally start the scene. And by that point I'm like, Fuck, I'm like not really in the space anymore. And, but I, you know, I'm doing the scene. And then I remember like hearing noises and looking up and he's like shuffling papers. And I'm just like, this guy does not care or like me very much. Um, And just, you know, when you're, it's hard when you leave that situation, you're like, man, he wasn't even, he wasn't even looking at me. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And then you go through that post-audition routine of you maybe grab a drink and let it go. Yeah. I remember walking home that day and just, you know, did not get that job, (laughs) you know? And maybe you're fine with that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah yes. Yeah. Things t- t- tend to work out, you know. Right. Okay, what about, okay, this is, a, this is the tricky one. What is one performance that every actor should see and why? By anybody? Like by, by somebody? Anybody, film, TV. Oh, and you mentioned wow. Jodie Foster. Um, yeah, I would say, I would say Edie Falco mm. and James Gandolfini in The Sopranos. Cool. I would say Meryl Streep and Sophie's Choice. Lovely, cool. I would say Will Ferrell in Anchorman. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what a great little composite of people. <laughs> Did you then have like a, you must have really idolized Meryl and then got to work with her. Yeah, of course. You know, that was just <laughs> nuts. Nuts, just absolutely nuts. Like nothing I thought I would ever experience. And she's wonderful and she's everything you want Meryl Streep to be and so kind and considerate and human and still has so much care. She's amazing. You guys did some really excellent side-eye acting in season two of Big <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we tried to, you know, there, was, there wasn't there was as much um, as I really hoped there'd be. Just, I thought there was a lot of really interesting tension um, oh, yeah. being the person who murdered her son. And Spoiler I wish there was alert. more. Yeah, well, if you haven't seen it by now, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wish there was more of that. So, you know, we had some conversations about that and snuck that cool. in and that felt that felt good. Yeah, wow. Okay, last question. Um, we're all about advice. What is one piece of advice that you would give your younger self if you could go back in time? Something you wish you'd known 
My mom says this to me, and I don't think I would have gotten it now, but I, I mean, gotten it then, but I get it now. And it's mm. rejection is protection. And there's oh. been a lot of things that I didn't get that I was really, really sad about at the time. And it has almost always worked out in my favor. Either something else better came along or the movie wasn't good or, you know, just you're able to do something else because you're available or you meet someone that you fall in love with or whatever it is. But um, I do think that and, and it might not it might not show up right away, but I think we're all in good hands. Whatever you believe in, I think we're in really good hands. That's beautiful. Yes. Thank you. I've never heard that about rejection. That's that's <laughs> what a lovely note to end on. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's really good. Well, thank you, Zoe. This has been really, really great. And I appreciate you calling all the way from London. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I hope I hope you hang in there. You too. You, you seem like um, you're doing great. <laughs> yeah, I really, um, I'm excited to hear about whatever comes of this script that it sounds like you're really working on a lot these days. Thank you. Yes, I think one, it, it, I'm only working on one thing. So if it ever comes mm-hmm. to uh, fruition, you'll know what, you'll know what yeah. it is. And um, yeah, thank you. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Zoe. Have a good one. Okay. Thanks. You too. Bye. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grau Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.